This morning, as we start out, I'd, I'd like to do something, and I usually don't do anything quite like this, so let me talk about it just for a second. I'm going to give a number of illustrations here on different ways in which something has been stolen by someone else. And I'm not talking about physical stealing as far as, you know, stealing the candy bar or whatever, but uh, like it's more, more things like, uh, well, let me just give you some examples. There's this particular kind of stealing that's been on my mind lately, and that's this. I had to turn in one of my chapters for my dissertation, and when I turned it in, they've got this new way to find out if you're plagiarizing. So in the old days, which weren't that long ago, okay, when I was a teacher, if I wanted to figure out what someone was plagiarizing from one of my classes, Basically, I had to be able to, like, read what they wrote, and then if it was from a book, I basically would have had to read that book before, and then remembered, which, you know, the likelihood of this is incredibly bad, that, you know, oh boy, I've read this before, and then found it. But now, what you do is, when someone submits a paper, you just put it into an online database, and it compares it to every single digital book that's out there, and every other paper that's ever been submitted by anyone in any other school and compares it to see whether you plagiarized or not. So being able to call your older brother or your older sister and be like, hey, can I use that paper that you wrote in so-and-so's class? I'm sure they'll never remember and just, you know, switch the names. Those days are kind of gone. And so I had to turn in one of my papers. Of course, I, you know, I didn't think I'd plagiarize in it. And I got this score. It was like 10%. And I was like, does it think it plagiarized 10% of this chapter? There's no way. So anyway, thankfully, I, you know, I'm just stressing out about this. You go, you look at it, okay, I understand. If, as long as you're below 15%, they basically would say there's probably no way you plagiarized because when you uh, put sites and different things like that, the way the software works, it marks it as plagiarism even though it isn't. So anyway, I was, I was fine, but plagiarism has been on my mind because of it, right? You always got to be careful when you write that you don't steal other people's work. I mean, this has really been a big problem from... Time and beyond, this idea of plagiarism. Even someone who I consider maybe one of the greatest writers ever, J.R. Tolkien, he was even marred by some of his writings saying he took some of the plot lines of some of his stories from other things. Not the direct wording, but some of the ideas. Now, sometimes plagiarism's hard because are there really new ideas for books and movies? You know, I mean, which, what plot line hasn't been done? So it can be difficult to know, but... There's been politicians who've been in trouble for stealing speeches that other people have written. I remember one specific time I had a student who turned something in, and they had uh, clearly taken it from the Internet. And what was really funny about it was it was in all caps. They didn't bother to go find something to copy and paste that wasn't in all caps. So, like... A third of their paper was in, like, you know, normal capitalization, and, like, two-thirds of it was all caps. And so all I had to do was, you know, Google, like, a sentence of it, and I found exactly where they got it from, right? But this idea of stealing what other people's done, and there, there's other ways that can be done, just not academic plagiarism, which can be a problem, but... I know Bethany's dad one time, she, he worked for a company, and I, I don't know all the details, but he had this idea of how to improve something in the company. It had something to do with uh, adjusting the way that their computers or software or something. And he said, you know, he told them, he said, you guys should try this idea. It would be great. It would be wonderful. The company said, okay, we'll try it. 
and the company has made millions and millions of dollars using this idea he had, but he didn't have a patent or anything, so he never made a penny from it, you know? And so as I talk about some of these illustrations, I'd like you to think about maybe in something in your life, maybe something that's happened to you, where someone's taken something from you that you did or you earned, or maybe they took the credit and whatnot, and think about that as we go into our passage today, and we'll come revisit this idea at the end. As we go into our passage today, I'm going to kind of sort of set the stage for you. I'm not going to go back and look at every reference because we, we'd be referencing back in chapter 2 and even up, up, up forward to chapter 13. So let me just sort of set the stage. Last week, we talked about how Paul, when he was writing this letter, he was dealing with in chapter 10, at least in the first 11 verses, things that were happening within the church, the insiders, things that were going wrong. And now I said we're going to shift in him talking to the outsiders. And what I want to be specific on what I mean by outsiders. I don't mean people that didn't go to the church or had nothing to do with the church. I'm not talking about government officials or a thing like that. I'm talking about people that when Paul came and he witnessed to them and they got saved and the church began and maybe other people got saved and the church grew. Not those people, but someone that came in later. And from what we can put together, what happened was, this, Paul started this church in Corinth, and later on, another group came in. And this other group came in, and there's another, chapter 13, I believe it is, it talks about how they brought a letter of recommendation of some time, kind with them, and they brought it, and they started doing some type of ministry in this church that Paul had started. And, they, and we don't know where they're from. Some people think they might be from Jerusalem, maybe Jewish people that had been converted and they were coming. And so there's this second group, but we don't know all the details. We know there's other group, and they start ministering in the church of Corinth. Now, what's interesting here is every ministry has more than one person that's going to minister to it. Uh, like every church, hopefully, is going to have more than one pastor in its lifetime. You know, we grow old, we die, and you get, and you get other ones or, or we move on or whatever. But, you know, it's not, the problem here is not that this is Paul's church and no one else can do anything with it, right? That's not how it works. Hopefully everyone that's in ministry, we all just want to see everyone be successful. So this is not an issue of saying, well, Paul's saying, oh, I started this place and you stay out of my stuff. Is a ministry of them doing something they shouldn't have been doing. And so Paul is going to address them. Now as we read through these verses, you're going to kind of notice that if I wouldn't have told you this backstory, some of this wouldn't have come out. And that's because, two reasons. One, we should really read the whole letter all at one time, right? We only take it in chunks at a time, and we forget what was said in chapter 2, and we're not going to get to what's said in chapter 13 today, and so on and so forth. And the second reason is, you know, we aren't in Corinth at that time, so we don't really know he's referencing these people. But if you're reading this letter, obviously you know who he's talking about. It would have been a big deal to have this other group come in with uh, uh, a recommendation letter and all that, so they would know exactly who he's talking about. So we go on to chapter 10, verse 12. It says, not that we dare to classify. So he shifts. He'd been talking about these people in there. Then he says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. So now he's starting to talk about this group that had come in. And so to us, when we read about this group that's committing themselves, very vague. But they all knew who it was talking about. So apparently this group had come in and started saying how wonderful they are. 
Now, sometimes it's said, and we pastors, as we try, or public speakers, when you try to give illustrations, you try to be careful of this, but they always teach you in school, and you say, you try not to be the hero of you know, every story, right? And it seems like, apparently, these people, they were the hero, they were the hero of all of their stories. They were saying how great they were. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with another, they're without understanding. What they're doing is they're comparing themselves with themselves. And when they compare themselves just with one another, they're thinking they're awesome. But they're without understanding. This is very easy to do. This is so easy to do. Sometimes we call it an echo chamber or something like that. Have you ever heard the idea of an echo chamber? You want to know how you're the, if you're in a band, you want to know to make sure you're the best band in the whole world. Just don't listen to any other bands and don't pay attention to any other music or anything else. And guess what? You'll be the greatest because if all you do is compare yourself to yourself, you'll always be great. I remember when I was in Bible college, I was deciding where I wanted to go to seminary, and they were all trying to get me to stay at faith and do my seminary education at faith as well. One thing they would tell me was, well, why would you want to go anywhere else? It's already great. You know, it's great here. And faith was a good seminary. I have, I have no complaints. But it was kind of like, well, I don't have anything to compare it to. You know, if I'm not comparing it to anything on the outside, not that I'm not saying it isn't great or whatever, but with some outside comparison, how do I know? And this is what's going on. These people, they're comparing themselves with themselves. They're saying they're great, but they're without understanding. The, the message, the way it translated was something like, but they're foolish. You know, I almost read this whole passage in a paraphrase because it's just easier to understand. But we go on to verse 13. It says, but we will not boast beyond our limits. So these guys, they're saying how great they are. They don't understand. They're just comparing themselves to themselves. But we will not boast beyond our limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even you. So he has another complaint. This group is starting to reach and push their influence beyond what God gave them. So this is what I'm going to argue he's saying. This morning, God, on the road to Damascus, blinds me, gives me this mission to, to the Gentiles as an apostle. I go. I'm supposed to start this church. I start the church of Corinth. And now this other group has come in and started influencing beyond what they're supposed to. They are coming into an area which they do not belong. And so notice he doesn't say they're doing it, but he's saying, I don't do it, right? And why is he saying, I don't do it? It's he's insinuating, because you do. Because you do. But we'll boast only with regard to the area of influence assigned to us to reach even you. God assigned me to reach you, and I do not reach beyond that. But these people have apparently been reaching into an area which they shouldn't have been. Now, once again, I do not think the issue is that more than one person can't uh, preach at a church or something like that. It's, it's they're pushing them in a way they shouldn't be. They're, they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing. And I think as we go on in the next few chapters, we'll see some of the things that they're doing wrong. 
It's not that there's two people that have some kind of influence. It's, it's the misuse of that influence. Verse 14, For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. See, Paul was the one that planted the church. He was the one that came there first. And he is not overextending himself in the way that these people are overextending their influence. You know, I, I, was, I looked for a video to show you guys, just like maybe a little funny example, just a short little clip, a funny example of plagiarism or, or, uh, or stealing ideas or whatever. I didn't really find one, but as I was uh, trudging through YouTube, finding a whole bunch of little funny things, it's so interesting how many videos there are on saying, how do you make sure either you keep other people from taking your work or another example was how do you make sure as a manager when people under you do good work that you get some of the credit for it? One video was about how to do that. Because in the office situation or, or, or work situation, there's so many times it's really easy to take credit for things that other people have done, you know. I just really would love to take credit for all the work that Ron's done on the lights. It would just be great to pretend that I did it all, right? It would be really nice. But, of course, that wouldn't be true. And it is so easy sometimes to steal. If they're not there, oh, it's so tempting when they're not there, you know. I mean... I'm talking to my grandma. Ron's not here right now. Ron will never know that I claimed I did it all, right? Guarantee you my grandma does not care if I put up some lights. <laughs> she, she would not be a good one to try to brag to. But you know, we, we do this, and it's such a problem. There's, there's so many videos and tutorials and explanations and articles written on how this issue of stealing things. Verse 15 we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that your faith increases. Our area influence among you may be greatly enlarged. So we kind of start shifting here. We do not boast beyond our limits. So we don't say we did things that we did not do. We did not say we did it when it was the labor of others. But what is Paul's hope and the people with him, the people that served the church of Corinth? But our hope is that your faith increases. Our, that our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. And so how is he able to influence them more? Well, if their faith increases and Paul's leading in a godly way, his influence over them will continue to be greater. And notice how his ultimate goal here is. Is his ultimate worry a credit issue? It seems like the ultimate goal here isn't that he didn't get the credit or people didn't realize that he was the one that started the church or that God was the one that blinded him on the road. Yeah, yeah did you have a Damascus Road experience? Huh? It seems like his issue here, what he's concerned about, is the increasing of their faith so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work 
already done in another's area of influence. We want your faith to increase. We want to be able to preach. We want to go to other people, not to places where other people have already been and we're just going to go take their credit. We're going to go to somewhere that no one's been or going to build on a ministry and we're not going to claim to have done things that we have not done. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. You know, as you think about maybe that situation that I had mentioned earlier, maybe there's a situation where someone stole something from you. You had the idea. They took it. You did the work. And they took the credit. And I don't know about you, but that would make me really mad. It would make me really mad. And uh, it would make me very bitter toward them. And every time I thought about it, I would get mad all over again. And no matter how many years had gone by, every time I thought about it, I get mad all over again. Never asked my father-in-law about this, so maybe I'm putting words in his mouth, but I have to imagine every time he says, I'd sure like to buy this, and he can't afford it, he probably thinks to himself, boy, sure would be nice to have a little cut of that millions of dollars I made for that company with that idea I had. Sure would be nice. It was my idea. It's my idea. So as we think about this issue of stealing other things that people have done, I like us to think about it two ways. First of all, this one won't take very long. Don't steal things that other people have done. All right, we good on that? All right, okay, that's the, that's the first thing. Hopefully we've got that. But the second is, if it has happened to you, when you do, when if someone has done this thing to you, I think the way that we keep from being bitter is this. What was Paul worried about? Other people commending him? The credit for what he did in Corinth? Is that what he was worried about? He was worried about whether the Lord had commended what he had done. His focus was on that, whether his actions ultimately glorified Christ. And so when you think about that action, when someone maybe did you wrong, and you want to be bitter about it, as I imagine, I'm just a bit so mad. I want you to think, think bigger, the ultimate goal. What we really want as Christians isn't credit or glory Someone tell us how smart we are. What we want, what we want is that when God looks down upon us, says, well done, you good and faithful servant. And God is the only one that ultimately knows, right? He's the one that knows. And so often we're willing to, we're willing to compromise 
or morality. We're willing to compromise the right thing to do because we want credit. We want to be recognized. We want people to say we're great. We want to say we're something. Yet, who's the one that we should ultimately say? Who's the one we should say, man, I so care what God wants from me. I so care what God thinks of what I've done. We're going to be spending an eternity with God. And so many of the people around we're trying to impress. Not only will we not see very many times left in this life, but the, the eternal consequences is not there. Their praise means nothing. Praise is meaningless. We seek the praise of people. I've told you guys before, the greatest high school basketball player of all time is named Lou Alcindor. Most of you don't even know who that is. Seeking the praise of other people. We desire it so much. And I just hope that if something like that has been done to you, where someone is stolen something from you, that you can take comfort in saying, no, 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 this doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. I don't have to harbor bitterness in my heart. Now, I'm not saying you want people to steal stuff from you, but you don't have to harbor that bitterness in your heart. Because if you're pleasing the Lord... That is so much more important than maybe a few million dollars for the idea that you came up for the company you work for. Money can't buy you peace. Fame can't buy you that relationship with Christ that brings you the peace that passes all understanding. There's a, a lot of unhappy people that have a lot of praise from the world. We care about what the Lord thinks of us, and I pray that you would think that way this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning. And as we think about these people that came and did Paul so wrong, Lord, I just thank you that he was an example to us to focus not on whether something was stolen or credit was taken, but that glory be given to God. That people growing in a relationship with you was what truly mattered. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.